0: if you've gotten anything out of the series that we've been looking at over the past about 25 26 weeks if you've gotten anything i trust it is at the very least that you you understand that walking in victory with jesus is possible there are a lot of christians that don't they don't get that they don't understand that they can really live and walk in victory but the scripture has the direction it it tells us how we can have that victory that's why we've been looking Uh, at all of these different passages that are about victory. The psalmist said this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, when I don't know what to do, where should I turn? I turn to the Scripture because it's going to direct me and it's going to counsel me. And today at the end of my message, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, as you see down here. And it's fitting that we do that in this series because, as I've said, if you don't get the victory over the grave that Jesus brought then any other victory that you experience will pale eventually because it will have no eternal ultimate sacrifice, I mean uh, significance. Jesus' sacrifice is what gives us uh, uh, significance both in eternity and in this life. Max Lucado, in his book Six Hours One Day, tells a story about uh, a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle and they lived near a, a river, a large river. And the, the, this particular tribe of Indians was in need of medical att- attention. There was a contagious disease. It was ravaging the population of this people. They were dying every day. And there was a hospital not very far away, but the hospital was on the other side of the river. And the Indians wouldn't cross the river because they had been led to believe that it was inhabited by evil spirits And to enter the water would mean certain death for them. So they wouldn't go across, even though they were uh, dying of the disease uh, in their community. And the missionary explained how he had crossed the river just to get to them and was unharmed. But they they weren't impressed with that. So he took some of them down to the bank of the river. and He placed his hands in the water and splashed around and said, See, the water, there's no harm. And they still wouldn't go in. And then he walked out into the water up to his, his, his waist area. And he walked out there and he stood and said, look, he said, nothing is, is happening. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he dove into the river and he swam beneath the surface of the water until he emerged on the other side. And when he came out the other side, he threw his arms up. Uh, in triumph that he would he'd come out and when they saw that he had disappeared and then he reappeared on the other side uh, kind of victoriously and triumphantly he had entered the water and escaped only then did the Indians break out in applause and cheers and follow him across the river well friend I want to tell you something that's exactly what Jesus did Jesus dove into death and on the third day he came out victorious and so his message to us is because I've conquered the grave you can have victory and you don't need to fear death and the scripture tells us that death was the last enemy to be conquered Jesus conquered death the great enemy of of humanity Jesus conquered it and so we can too now, in this past two weeks, I've done three, three memorials, three funerals, but I prefer to call them homegoing. Why? Because the people that I did these uh, 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 services for were thoroughgoing, faithful believers. And so it was a homegoing service. It wasn't a, a, a funeral, it wasn't the end, it was the beginning for them. And they, they, they moved from this life into the victory of eternity and the fact is you don't have to have a life that ends in a funeral you can and should have a life that ends as a homegoing ceremony at some point point. and today what I want to do is I want to read a passage I want to show you three things about victory over death and how it impacts our life If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning and we begin reading in verse 50. Paul writes and says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. That's important. Remember that. We'll come back. For this this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in, here it is, victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, there it is, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we have victory over the great enemy of humanity, and that is death, because Christ conquered the grave. He went under, and he came out victoriously, and we can too. Father, we also thank you for the recent... uh, victory father uh, in our supreme court and lord uh, we don't gloat about it as if we've done something but lord we thank you for this ray of light in a lot of darkness and we pray for all these little ones that will come into the world because of this decision we pray for their future these generations to come lord that from them you will raise up men and women of God, who will shake the foundations of this world for you. We pray in advance for their arrival. Lord, we pray that you will also use this to produce a spark that spreads across this land and results in a renewal and a revival and a return to you. And Lord, we pray this morning that you will now use your word to speak to us and to teach and instruct us, to convict and transform us. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now chapter 15, this section that we read from chapter 15, chapter 15 is really one of the great chapters in the New Testament. We often refer to chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. Have you ever used, heard that referred to, chapter 13, the love chapter? And the reason we refer to it as the love chapter is because of uh, the thoroughness which, with which it defines what real love is. So we say it's the love chapter. Now if we call chapter 13 the love chapter, I think we should probably refer to chapter 15 as the life chapter. Because in this chapter, this entire chapter, Paul devotes it to an explanation of life and death and to victory over the grave in Christ Jesus. Now, what we did, we broke into the narrative of this chapter. Uh, in, in our words, we, we, to get the whole picture, you'd read the whole chapter. But We kind of broke into the narrative. Actually, we broke into the last section of, of this chapter. Kind of like doing this. Have you ever uh, had an article and... You were you anticipated what it was going to talk about so much that you went ahead and read the end of it. Have you ever done that? You went to the end first, you know, or a book. Have you ever cheated and gone to the end to say, "I want to know how it comes out before I ever read the other?" Well, that's kind of what we've done here this morning. We have said, "Okay, uh, I'm going to let's break into the end of this narrative that Paul is giving to us." That's what we've done. But the backstory is important. Because it tells us a lot about this whole matter of life and death and and victory. So we've kind of broke into the we broke into the good part. We broke into the the to the celebratory part of the of the narrative that he gives. And and Paul in this particular uh, section he gives us some great truths about the resurrections. Now. He begins this chapter with the evidence for the resurrection. He moves from there to the importance of the resurrection. Then he talks about the necessity of the resurrection. He answers some questions about the resurrection and life. And then he comes to this section, this kind of concluding section of this particular uh, theme. And it's all about praise and thanks for the victory that Christ has provided. In other words, he concludes by saying, but there's a whole lot that we can... And be grateful for and thank God for because of the resurrection. Now, to walk victoriously in this life, um, it's important to understand how to die well. Dr. L. Nelson Bell, who was the father in law, he's a doctor, he's a missionary, but he's the father in law of Billy Graham. And he said this one time, it's a great statement. He said, Only those who are prepared to die are really prepared to live. Isn't that a great statement? Dr. Billy Graham, his son in law, said this. Since we are all going to die physically unless Jesus returns, it's important to understand the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. So let me show you three things about our victory over death. The first thing I want you to notice from our passage is our coming transformation. Verses 51 to 54 tell us about this. In in one part of those verses it says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You know, there's probably nothing that challenges our faith more than this whole idea of death. And Paul is addressing that concern. These Christians in Corinth were struggling. They were struggling with the whole thing about death. And in particular, in relation to the return of Christ. You see, the early Christians feared that they would die before Christ returned. And if they died before Christ returned that they would have no future hope. And and that's why Paul says, look at verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So they're saying, well, if flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God, what happens if we die before Jesus comes back? And they were concerned about that. So this is what Paul is addressing. So he starts telling them, no, 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 it's not about if you die before Christ comes back that you're hopeless. The fact is because Christ overcame the grave, even if you die, you will overcome the grave. And you will be transformed. You'll transformed if you die before he returns. And if you do not die before he returns, you will be transformed. Look at his explanation in verses 52 and 53. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Look at this. And the dead will be raised imperishable. There it is. This is is their kind of option. See, if you're dead, you'll be raised imperishable, right? And then he goes on to say, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body will put on uh, immortality. So what he's saying to them is, here's the option. If you die, you're going to be raised and transformed. If you're alive when he comes, you're going to be raised and you're going to be transformed. What he's trying to do is comfort their heart and say, look, in Christ, you're going to be transformed. It doesn't matter whether you have already died or whether you're alive when Christ comes. Have you ever heard this story, the mythological story about uh, uh, Tithonus? Have you ever heard, anybody ever heard of Tithonus, the mythological character? He's an interesting guy. Tithonus and Eos, or Aurora in the Roman, uh, uh, Tithonus and Eos fell in love. This is a mythical story. They fell in love. And Eos, the wife of Tithonus, she so loved Tithonus, she never wanted him to die. And so she went to Zeus and she asked Zeus if, if Zeus would give Tithonus eternal life. And Zeus loved Eos. And so he said, sure, I'll I'll grant that for you. And he gave Tithonus eternal life. There's only one problem. Eos forgot to ask Zeus to also give him eternal youthfulness. Now, have y'all connected the pieces there? So he would live forever, but his body would continue to age. And you, can you imagine, I mean, can you imagine being locked into, you may say, well, I'm pretty young right now, I, I'd take this body for, forever, but can you imagine, it doesn't work that way, by the way, you're not living in a myth, so, but can you imagine being trapped in the body you have forever? Well, the good news is, Paul says to them, look, there's going to be a transformation, in Christ, there's going to be a transformation. And even though our flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that's not a big deal. So we don't go into the kingdom like this. He says that's not a big deal because you're going to be transformed. Your perishable body that's breaking down. We talked about a couple of weeks ago where Paul said the outer man is decaying. This outer man is decaying. It's breaking down. Uh, But he says the inner man is being renewed. Why? Through the Spirit of God in us and preparing us eventually for the ultimate transformation when this perishable body will put on uh, the imperishable. And it's true. He says it's true whether you are alive or whether you have passed on. Now, I haven't seen it yet, um, but I've heard that one of the most popular television shows of the last several years is a show called The Walking Dead. I bet some of you have seen The Walking Dead, uh, and from what I have read, but since I heard it was so popular, I thought, well, I'm going to find out a little bit. So I did a little, I did a little uh, snooping about to find out what it's about, and and I discovered that it's a it's a show set in the kind of a post uh, apocalyptic apocalyptic uh, age and um, that there's this sheriff and he comes out of a coma and realizes that the world has essentially just been almost um, destroyed and he has to lead a group of survivors uh, and help keep them alive against the threat of just near constant attacks from zombies that are referred to as walkers. Did I get it right? Those of you who are familiar, did I get it right? Now, friends, I want to tell you something. That's television. We're not going to be some freak expression of life that made it out of the grave. Amen to that. We're not going to be the walking dead. You know what the Bible says? We are going to be new life walking, not the walking dead. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be new life walking. And the Bible describes our transformation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever wanted another body? Come on, y'all be honest. You're in church. You ever wish you had a different body? Maybe when you got up to go get ready for church today, you looked at yourself and said, (laughs) Oh God, I need another body. Maybe you did that, you know? And you probably would be like, uh, I guess, 99%, maybe 100% of people on the planet that have gotten up or have have looked at themselves sometime and said, Oh, God, can't you do better than this? But what will our transformational bodies be like? Have you ever wondered that? So we're going to be trans, our coming transformation? Well, the Bible tells us in Philippians 3.1, it tells us that they will be glorious. It says, Who He who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So, it's going to be glorious. Glorious means it's going to be beyond description. I I, I mean, look, you figure that one out for yourself, but I know this, the word means beyond our ability to describe, glorious uh, kind of so you're going to have a transformed body and it's going to be a glorious body. I don't think we'll be running around in the kingdom and say, Have you noticed my glorious body? Because everybody's going to have this transformational, glorious body, okay? It's what the Bible says, it's something to look forward to. Hello? The second thing the Bible teaches us is that, that our, our transformational bodies will, will be like Christ. In 1 John 3 2, it says, Beloved, we are. We we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now, look, we're going to. And by the way, Christ was transformed too. In fact, He told after He appeared to the disciples, if you recall, He appeared to these, "Don't touch me right now. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. I'm not in that glorified state." But here's what the Bible says. You and I, it's going to be a glorious body, but it's going to be a Christ-like body. We're going to see Him, and it says, and we will be like Him when we see Him. By the way, Revelations also says that His name will be written on our forehead. Now, I don't know what that means, but I, I, I know that it means that it's a mark or a badge of honor. That you're going to want the name of Jesus on you and that it's a part it goes with this whole transformational process so we'll be like him then the third thing about your transformational body is it will be imperishable back to verse 53 in the passage that we read it's imperishable it can't be destroyed it can't be uh, done away with so victory over the grave means uh, glorious and victorious transformation all right And you say, so how does that help me live in victory right now? It helps me, uh, look, when the things of this world come against me physically and mentally and emotionally to know that I've got a glorious transformation coming where those things are not going to be issues to me down the road. And so that's why, now are you connecting the dots we've been talking about over the weeks? So that's why, as we talked about previously, Paul could say this light momentary affliction is working for us A far greater weight of glory so that we see that which is unseen instead of the things that are transient are you connecting the dots see so how does that happen because I've got victory over the grave and so I have victory in this life Because I know what's coming so I can walk faithfully against all the obstacles and all the issues uh, that I encounter in this life because I know what is unseen is what lasts, not what is seen. You know, this me, this body, the brokenness of it. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see this morning, and that is not only do we uh, 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 have our coming transformation, but we also have cause for celebration. We have a cause for celebration. Verse 57, look at that. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. What an incredible line. He gives us the victory. How does he give it to us? Through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite war battle stories, you know, I love history and it has to do with the battle of the Duke of Wellington and Napoleon Bonaparte, and it was a decisive battle because if Napoleon won it, it means he would have conquered Britain. And it occurred on June the 18th, 1815, and all of Britain was anxious because the outcome was uncertain. They had, they were counting on the Duke of Wellington and the British Navy to be able to ta- uh, to uh, defeat. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, and he had conquered uh, just about anything and everything he had attempted to conquer. And so this day came, all of England knew the battle was going to be decisive, and, uh, and so the battle uh, was fought. And at the end of the battle, a ship was dispatched, because in those days they didn't have telephones, they didn't have telegraph. You couldn't text a message to say, hey, what's the outcome of the battle? You couldn't use YouTube or Facebook to communicate what's been going on. And so all the people had to wait for the news to arrive. Did we win? Did we lose? And here's, um, here's how, uh, how they did it. They did it through, through signals, signal flags, simple for, uh, flags, if you know what those are. They're coded flags. It's how they used to, to send a message. The people were anxious. They were waiting uh, to hear what was going to go on or what had gone on. And so a a ship was dispatched to sail near the coast, and they headed a range where the message would be passed on. And from the ship, uh, a sailor signaled to another man who was posted at the top of uh, uh, Westminster uh, Cathedral, or Winchester Cathedral. And so he received the signal from the boat. And here's what the message said. It said, Wellington was the first word communicated. Wellington, the Duke of Wellington. The second word was defeated. And the fog rolled in. And they began to try to send the signal on to, from the uh, Westminster Cathedral or Winchester Cathedral. They tried to send the message on that to another designated place who sent the message on. And that's how they got the message across the, the whole nation. And you can imagine when they began to get the message how discouraged they were. And they began to prepare for, for the occupation of Napoleon and, and his troops. And it was a kind of a dark time. About three hours later, after the word had spread throughout the land, the fog had lifted. And the message was picked back up. The relay was picked back up from the ship. And the relayed message said this, Wellington defeated. But the rest of the message got through here. It said, the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy. The message was good news. And all of a sudden, they began to rejoice because the message they had first received wasn't the complete message. I want to tell you something uh, this morning. There was a day about 2,000 years ago when they put the body of the Lord Jesus in the tomb And uh, the message that appeared was a message of discouragement. Christ defeated. That was the message when they put Him in the tomb. But listen, three days later, three days later, the message was clarified. Christ defeated the grave. Christ defeated death. That was the message. Now listen, we can celebrate Life, because we have victory over death. We can celebrate this life and we can walk in victory in this life because we know this is not the end. We have victory over the grave. We have reason to celebrate because our past is forgiven. Did you notice that Paul had just talked about sin and its effect? Look back there with me, if you will. Verse 56, before he adds 57, he says, "...the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory." Listen, we have reason to celebrate because our past is forgiven. I shared that verse a few moments ago out of Romans that says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You will be able to stand before God in righteousness. Now listen to me. Listen to me, those of you who are watching us by live stream or television or listening on radio, right here in this live audience, listen to me, if you are not in Christ, what are you waiting on? You need to get in Christ, you need to trust Christ. There is condemnation outside of Christ, eternal condemnation, but He is so loving, He loves you so much, He, he loves you so He says, listen... Whosoever will call upon my name, I will save. As many as receive me, to them I give the right to become children of God. In John chapter 3, it says that that, uh, uh, outside of Christ we are condemned. That's why Christ died for you to give you victory over condemnation, to give you victory over eternal punishment. There is no condemnation in Him. Our past is forgiven. And I want to tell you something. He can forgive any past. His death on the cross was for all sin. And so we celebrate because our past is forgiven. We celebrate because our present has meaning. You know, if we have victory over death, that means my life counts right now. If there's victory over the grave, that means until I die... He has purpose in my life. My life counts right now, forever. What I do now has eternal significance and eternal ramifications. That's why your choices matter. That's why your decisions matter. And that's why your behavior matters right now. Death is not the end. There is an eternity ahead. There are rewards ahead. But listen, friend, listen to me carefully. There's also judgment ahead. The Bible says it is appointed to man... Uh, wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, we talk about redemption and we talk about forgiveness, and I'm, I, look, I thank God for that. Where would any of us be if it weren't true that Jesus forgives sinners? Hello? Any sinners in this room? I am. Thank God for His forgiveness, but listen to me, friend, listen to me very carefully. We don't talk about it. We talk, God loves us. He does love us. We must communicate the love of God. We must speak the truth in love. But part of the truth is, but there's judgment ahead too. There's judgment ahead. And there's several kinds. I don't have time to talk about all the kinds of, there's re, judgments of reward. There's also, though, the great white throne judgment. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, They were cast into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. Nobody wants to preach that right now, do they? Because we're uncomfortable hearing that. But the fact is, look, there's reward ahead if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, I want to tell you there's judgment ahead. That's why I beg you to trust Christ as your Savior. To receive Him. Because there's reward and there's judgment that's why we, that's why we can have victories because Christ overcame the grave. And we can experience the reward of the kingdom. We, listen, listen, we can celebrate because our future is also secure. In Christ, we don't have to live under the fear of our eternal destination. We don't have to live that fear. We can look forward to what God has prepared us for his children. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and said, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. God has something for those who love Him, who know Him, who are related to Him, who are His children. Paul said we are heirs of the King uh, in Christ. Listen, 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 listen. Don't miss the message. Jesus defeated death he defeated death so you and I could have life. Could be victorious. for Not just for now, but forevermore. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? He is not a way out. He is the only way. We want Him to be, in this age we're living, we want Him to be one of any number of routes to God. But friend, that's not what the Bible teaches you say well that's what you're preaching I'm preaching what the Bible teaches and the Bible teaches what Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by me no one there are no exceptions it doesn't matter whether you're the pope the president the preacher or the uh, or the people yet yeah, no one comes to the father except through Jesus Christ there are no special exceptions or exemptions nobody and that's why that's why it's so important that we understand where real victory comes because if you don't get that victory eternally you will not understand how to experience victory in the here and now. Jesus defeated death. Aren't we glad for that? And then last, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is our current motivation. So what motivates us, right? Look at verse 58, if you will. This is how Paul concludes the chapter. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's our motivation, we have calls for celebration. We can, can uh, 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 ponder and anticipate our coming transformation, but dear friend, right now, right now, how you live matters. We have current motivation. He says, this is the last verse of this kind of segment that he's discussing life and resurrection and all of that, and he says, therefore, therefore you understand we've talked about this through the years, means on the basis of what he just said. So he says, therefore, because of what I've just taught you, because of what I've just told you, he said, here's here's what I want to leave you with as it relates to this. Here's your motivation. Because Christ has defeated death, Paul says we're motivated to do three things. What are they? Number one, be steadfast. That word means to be firmly established in position. It means to hold your ground. I don't know if you've ever been to um, uh, Arlington and uh, uh, Cemetery or to the, uh, the area not far from there of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I've been there before, and these guys are incredible. That Have you ever seen the pictures of Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? You've seen these guys. And these guys, they have to sign on to this. And man, when they take their position, they're there. And they state, no matter what happens, if there's a thunderstorm, if there's lightning, if there's a tornado, they do not leave their post. They stay there. They can be soaked by rain and blown by wind, but they will not leave their post through their entire shift. They stay there. They're steadfast. That's a picture of steadfastness. No matter what blows my way, no matter what comes my way, cold, heat, rain, lightning tornado, hurricane, doesn't matter, I will not be moved. That's steadfastness. If you get that picture, you understand what Paul is saying. Because of the resurrection, you be steadfast. You be steadfast. And then he says, secondly, immovable. Be immovable. What does that mean? Well, the idea of being immovable is about living your life with conviction based on God's Word you're unshaken in your belief not only in your position you stay your course you stay the position you've been uh, based on what you know to be true this is in your mind I'm immovable I won't be shaken I won't change my beliefs I won't compromise against the word of God now listen to me that's more important today than ever before because there's going to be more and more and more pressure upon you if you're a child of God to compromise to bend just a little bit the truth of God so you will blend in better with the culture and isn't it interesting the Bible never tells you to blend in the Bible tells you to come out from among them and be separate Isn't it a tragedy today that so many in the church would rather blend in with the culture than stand out for the kingdom? Ah, well, you know, I don't want to offend people. Look, I don't want you offending people. The goal is not to offend people. But I'm going to tell you, in this age where there's a lot of darkness and where God has vacated the public square, when you stand unwavering, in your position, immovable on your convictions uh, from the Word of God, there are going to be people that don't like it. There are just going to be people that don't like it. We've seen it this past week. Now, you see, by the way, you still need to love them. This isn't a fist fight, a spiritual fist fight. Because really, our enemy is not the culture, though the culture is a reflection of our enemy. Did you get that? Our enemy, Paul says in Ephesians 6, is the devil. He said their powers and principalities and dominions. He's talking about the spiritual world. He says this is where the real battle is being engaged. Don't be naive and just say, no, it's just right out there. No, 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 no. The real battle is a heavenly battle. That's why you've got to wear a spiritual heavenly armor. If you're going to be immovable and steadfast and then third he says be abounding in the work of the lord you know the word abounding there in the greek means it means overflowing 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 in the work of the lord it's about being committed to the work of god listen friends i want to tell you something now more than ever the church needs to be abounding in the work of the lord do you know what Jesus said? He said, we must work while it is still day. The night comes when no man can work. Folks, in the, at the end of the age, it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. That's why while we, have, while we have the day, we must seize it for the kingdom of God. We must live for Him. We must serve Him You know, I I tell you, it's so interesting to me that we're at a place today where we're having to beg the church to be the church. We're having to beg the church to be the church. We're having to beg people to serve God. Please serve God. Please serve God. I want to tell you something. Listen, brothers and sisters, we ought to be clamoring to say, time is short, this is the hour that God has given us what do I need to do for the kingdom what can I do how can I serve God instead of what can I just do to get by let me tell you what's happening I fear in the church of God all across the globe but particularly in America it has developed a survival mindset what can I do what's the least that I can do to remain a part of the work of the kingdom but not not create any stress upon my life. I'm not trying to make you stressful, but my point is not to create any burdens. Listen, right now, more than ever before, the church needs to understand its mission. We get a you, there's a victory out there we talked about from this past week, but listen, if you set on something like that and say, "Okay, that's a victory. Okay, let's just kind of cruise along." You are sadly mistaken. This mission is bigger than that. This mission is about getting The good news of Christ to the world, to a lost world, to a lost community. And frankly, we need to be, look, we need to be stepping up and saying, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? I am all in. But I fear that that's not happening right now. I fear what's happening is, how do we just kind of get by how do we just kind of uh, uh, survive? You know what? I think COVID has exposed a lot of things about the church. I think it has exposed a new level of commitment or lack thereof. You say, well, <laughs> well Pastor, we're here. You're, are you fussing at us? I, do you understand it's not about here or there? It's about who we are in the midst of the age we are living in. And God help us if our goal becomes that we just want to try to survive and be liked and not stir the pot. We're not trying to stir pot. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to stir the pot. Uh, I'm not trying to send you out uh, to to, um, uh, pick fights. That's not it at all. God help us. That's not our goal. Our goal is to go out with the love of God. Our goal is to say, how can we help the church of God? do the work of God while we still can. Well, y'all got it? (laughs) Thank you, all three of you. (laughs) So, abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord, what can we do? What can we do? How can we help? Our commitment to the work of God. Well, I want to close because I want us to have the partake of the Lord's Supper, but let me close by telling you a story about tombs. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified bodies of past Egyptian pharaohs or kings, whatever you want to call them. And I have been to the, to the largest of the, the pyramids. I've crawled around. I've crawled down into the Great Pyramid and there are these burial chambers there. A lot of them have been robbed, but they're burial chambers and they found the bones of these pharaohs and these kings and these pyramids. They're massive structures that were built as tombs, as shrines, to these uh, Egyptian kings. You can go to Westminster Abbey in London. I've been there and you, you can walk around. You can see there at Westminster Abbey the tombs of some of the, the most noble and notable people in, in the, the history of the UK. They're there. You can see them. People that you would, oh wow, yeah, I know that name. and that, You can see their tombs and their bones inside of those tombs still remain. You can go, as I have been, and many of you have probably been to Arlington. I mentioned that earlier, Arlington Cemetery. And I know it may be a little bit weird, but I I love, it's one of my favorite places in that area to walk through. First of all, it's very emotional for me when you see all those white crosses. You know, those men and women, some of them essentially boys and girls, really, that have given their life so that, that I could be free or have the freedoms that I have. And I like that. But you know, there are a lot of very... Uh, a prominent personalities that are buried there too, and you can you can walk around and you can read their their headstones, and I enjoy doing it. So, oh wow, look, this is this guy and this guy and and this guy from history, and you can see their tombstones there. And people go there for these kinds of things. These places draw people; they draw thousands of tourists and visitors every year because of what those those tombs contain there's the remains of this guy there's the remains of this guy you can go to medina in in saudi arabia and you can see the ornate tomb of of muhammad and where where his bones still remain by the way and people do they make these pilgrimages uh, there to do that but you know there's another place that people hundreds of thousands of people every year go to see it's called the garden tomb i've been there But you know why people go to that tomb? Not because of who is in the tomb, but because no one is in the tomb. Because Jesus came out three days later from the tomb. People want to see where he was, not where he is. And he came out of that tomb. And when he did, he thrust his fist in the air. And he said, victory. And the devil was defeated. And because he was, you and I have victory over the grave. Jesus raising, rising from the dead is not just our hope in eternity. It's our hope in this earthly world. And if you don't get that, you won't have ultimate victory you won't be the victorious Christian. Today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. If you've never put your trust, or you're not certain if you died, you'd go to heaven right now. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I want to give you the opportunity, and you can pray this prayer. You can say, Lord Jesus, Thank you for loving me and dying for me on the cross. I know that I'm a sinner. And I thank you that you paid the price for my sin, all of my sin. And right now, I invite you to come into my life and be my Savior. And give me a home with you in heaven. Now, if you prayed that prayer right now, and you meant that, you prayed that, he heard that. And he wants to begin this new wonderful journey of transformation in your life. Lord Jesus, you've heard the prayers of all of those who have called on you today. Just as you've said, you'll be faithful to your word. And I pray for them that you'll give them courage to take the next kinds of steps that they need to take. In Jesus' name, amen.